morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the second session in the webinar series on publishing agricultural development research in social science journals. Co-organized by the CGIR Research Program on Policies, Institutions, and Markets, uh, or PIM, the CGIR Standing Panel on Impact Assessment, or SPIA, and AWARD, the African Women in Agricultural Research and Development Programs. My name's R Ruth Meinzendick. I'm a senior research fellow at IFPRI and a co-leader of a flagship under, under PIM. And it's my great pleasure to open this webinar. This is the second session, as I mentioned, in case you missed the first session on an overview of the publication process, you can find a recording slides and a podcast version on our PIM website where you signed up for this webinar. While you're there, you can sign up for our third webinar next Monday on how to do and respond to peer reviews. Today's session is titled Advice from Journal Editors, and we're very lucky to have a great panel of editors who will discuss what to look for, what they look for in submissions, how to avoid the desk rejections, and how to handle reviews, proofing, publicizing articles. It's it's my great uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce our chair, Dr. Travis Lippert, professor of agriculture and resource economics at University of California Davis, SPIA special initiative member, and a former editor of the Agric uh, American Journal of Agricultural Economics. With his background in both publishing and editing and teaching the publication process, he's really very well equipped to uh, help facilitate this panel among such a great group. I'm going to turn it over to you, Travis. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Ruth, and, and good morning. Um, uh, I, I'm gonna quickly introduce each of, each of our panelists. Um, one thing uh, I'll, I'll give you just a minute to do, just because in in uh, in these virtual interactions, I feel like it's it's nice to have some grounding of where people are sitting. So I'll I'll, I'll lead that I'll, I'll lead that uh, pattern and say I'm I'm sitting in California. Um, it's dark and cold outside for Cal by California standards, but that means it's it's just below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but our uh, our uh, our first uh, panelist, as you see on the screen there, is Elizabeth King, managing editor of Journal of Development Effectiveness, um, non-resident senior fellow, Global Economy and Development Center for University Universal Education at Brookings Institute. Elizabeth, it's great to have you on the panel. Can you tell us where you're sitting and give us a local weather report? <laughs> thank you very much, Travis. I'm happy to be here, and thank Ruth for for inviting me and you as well. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C., where it's cloudy and rainy, and it's about 50 degrees. So it's actually warmer than where you are, Travis. Yeah. yeah. Good. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, our mm -hmm. next panelist is Lawrence Clerks, uh, professor of agri-food innovation and, transi and transition in, in Wageningen University, editor of Agricultural Systems, editor-in-chief, Journal of Agricultural Education and Extension, and associate editor of, of Agronomy for Sustainable Development. Lawrence, it's great to have you on the panel. Give us a well, give us a, a local weather report. Where you're sitting and, and what your local weather okay. is. 
Well, I am sitting here in my living room in Wageningen, and we're still working from home. It's better to sit inside than outside. It's uh, fairly chilly. I can't do Fahrenheit, but it's about four degrees Celsius outside, and it's raining a bit, dark. You know, November weather, uh, typical November weather for the Netherlands. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good to have you. And then uh, finally, Ashuk Mishra, a, a professor of agribusiness at the Kerry School of Business at Arizona State, editor-in-chief at Agricultural of Agricultural Economics and editor of the Journal of Agribusiness and Developing, in Developing and Emerging Economies. Ashuk, where are you sitting and, and what's your local weather report? So I'm in my office here in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Uh, it's about 55 degrees. It's one hour ahead of your clock, uh, Travis. Yeah. So looking forward to a good session. Thank you all. Good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining um, and, and for those local weather reports. I, I, I like weather and I like sort of picturing where people are. It, it helps a little bit to, to make this, uh, this engagement a bit more real. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna start uh, with just a couple of logistical notes um, before we dive into discussion. This is for the for the benefit of the those attending. Uh, we do want to make this as interactive as we can, um, and the way we'll do that is by having you submit questions. Uh, you'll submit the questions via the question window on the right side of your screen. Um, and you can do that at any point in the discussion. So we're gonna we're gonna hit a series of topics. I'll kind of guide the discussion. Uh, when you when you submit a question, uh, let us know where you are and your organization. And if the question is directed to one of the panelists, uh, please indicate um, indicate that uh, that in in the in the question in the in the in the question window. Um, we will answer those questions in batches, I think, as we go throughout the discussion. I'll be kind of watching those as they're curated, um, and I'll, I'll introduce them at points that seem to make sense and seem to kind of fit the flow of the discussion here. Um, and, and lastly, we are recording, we are recording this session, um, and the recording after this, after this panel concludes, the recording will be available on the PIM website. Um, as a future resource or for those who, who weren't able to attend the live uh, panel. So with that, um, let's let's dive in. I'm gonna, I, I, I sort of have four blocks of questions that we'll walk through. The, the first round will be questions, kind of fairly basic questions about um, how, about you as editors and how you interact with um, the journal and maybe other co-editors or associate editors. Um, then we'll talk about submissions and resubmissions, how you handle submissions, resubmissions. Then we'll get into um, some uh, some other details, some kind of behind the scenes in the way that you make decisions and make editorial decisions, how you interact with referees, how you use review report, uh, referee reports. And then if we have time, there's a few kind of higher order questions that we might get to. Um, but let's start with those basic questions. So what, what we'll do is we'll go in, um, uh, in the order that we introduced you, uh, and just have each of you take 90 seconds or so and, and give us a feel for the journal that you edit. Um, that is, what what features of the of the articles that you publish do you feel like really kind of characterize the journal, that make it kind of dis distinctive relative to the uh, to the sort of other journals? Uh, so Elizabeth, we'll start with you. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. First of all, I wanted to, to mention that the editor-in-chief 
of the Journal for Development Effectiveness is uh, Manny Jimenez, and I'm, I'm uh, the managing editor. So the aim of our journal, Journal of Development Effectiveness, is, as the title says, it's all about uh, understanding the uh, impact of programs, policies, um, uh, projects, and we do this by publishing high-quality research that examines the evidence of the impact of these projects or policies. And we're not wedded to one particular uh, evaluation method. So we are we encourage uh, a mix of uh, methods or, or choosing different methods to get at the impact of po policies and projects. We also realize that sometimes impact is not it's not positive. Projects don't necessarily have a positive impact, and that's not. Um, that doesn't make a difference for us. The idea is whether the impact is positive or negative or no impact. We want to understand why that is. So let me stop there. Excellent. Lawrence. Yes. Um, for me, it's a bit complicated because I'm connected to several journals. So for today, I'll keep agronomy for sustainable development out of the equation. I only have a minor role there. So I'll talk about the other two journals I'm involved with. So the first one is the Journal of uh, Agricultural Education and Extension. I'm actually a co-editor together with IFPRI's own Kristen Davis. Uh, we should not forget to mention that. So we're doing it really together. And then we have a whole team of editors uh, who also help us process all the submissions. And uh, the Journal of Agriculture Education Extension. Yeah, we look at uh, education and extension processes in agriculture. So we publish a whole range of qualitative and quantitative studies which have to do with the impact of extension interventions, it has to do with agenda setting for education, it has to do with policies for extension. So it's a quite broad range of studies we publish, but we do want to see uh, that uh, extension theories are well applied and advanced. Uh, that is very important. So we aim to move uh, the state of art ahead, and that is different from some extension journals which focus more on practical studies and, and are much more focused on practice. We do value that theory. But uh, in a sense, it's a very interdisciplinary journal. The other journal I'm connected to that's of more recent date in the position of editor is Agricultural Systems. And that is a very yeah, diverse journal looking at system studies in agriculture. So there you have had the more agronomy type studies, you have uh, systems modeling studies, uh, some stuff much more on the biophysical element, other stuff more on socioeconomics. And there I handle more the socioeconomic studies. So I get sometimes adoption studies, but they also need to have like this systems component. I get agricultural innovation system studies, which I handle. And for that journal, it's really important that this connection between socioeconomic systems thinking and biophysical systems thinking is quite uh, strong. So that kind of characterizes the two different journals. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Ashok. Okay, uh, thank you, Trans. Uh, so our, I'll take, talk more about the agricultural economics journal that I lead and the uh, the one that Jade is the agribusiness part of it, which I started uh, a while back. It's growing a little bit. Uh, so the main pitch is coming from agriculture economics, but you can translate that into Jade also with the focus on agribusiness. Uh, so in agricultural economics, we publish uh, papers that are applied economics uh, that has good sound theory and application. 
uh, and we publish uh, papers in all fields of agriculture economics from futures options to development to uh, policy, insurance, anything that you can think about. Uh, we do all those kind of papers in our journal. Excellent. Very good. Uh, and and I, I'll say, uh, you know, Ruth, Ruth introduced me as the former editor of uh, the AJAE and um, I feel like I'm, I, I, I'll, I'll just give the, a little bit of a pitch on AJE. Um, so, uh, so we, much like Ashok, uh, the AJE actually looks um, at a pretty broad swath of papers and uh, representing a lot of, a lot of different subfields. Um, and she mentioned former editor. I, I actually am down to technically my tenure ended about a year ago, but I, I still have four four submissions left uh, that I'm trying to push out the door. So, so one of the one of the things that um, that uh, editors appreciate more than anyone else is sort of the the team the team of of uh, of, uh, of members associate members and editors that uh, publishers or is it. There's really a whole machine that that that, uh, that runs behind the scenes that makes these editors function, um, and and I think it would be good actually to to just hear a little bit about that kind of behind the scenes how the how you in each of those journals uh, how you organize the workflow uh, how you interact with other editors Elizabeth mentioned an editor in chief sort of what that what those relationships look like um, and and uh, and what if anything, um, uh, a submitting author ought to know about the structure uh, prior to submitting to a journal like yours. So we'll, we'll do the same, we'll go in the same order this time, Elizabeth. Yes, thank you. So the, uh, um, so I'm, I'm probably been in the, with the uh, journal, the kind of more recent than, than the other colleagues on this panel. But I was on a, another journal for more than five years, so I sort of have the um, the views from where I am right now, where I've been, uh, which has been over almost two years now. So I guess that's not that new. But also in terms of how you know an editor in chief uh, sort of interacts with other uh, with with um, managing editors and associate editors. So in our case, in the Journal of Development e Effectiveness, um, the editor-in-chief who receives all submissions then assigns the, the, the submissions to the editor. So there are also associate editors and editorial boards. So if we are not, that's not our, uh, let's say, a, a particular topic, it's not my particular expertise, then it, the, the paper would probably go to somebody else. So we, we kind of uh, do that. But we all are, uh, the, the, each editor, I know that uh, my recommendation to, to publish or reject a paper is likely to be the decision. If there was some kind of a debate about a, a paper or about a decision, we would probably, the, the, and the debate is pretty close, then the editor-in-chief will probably make the decision. Otherwise, it's really the handling editor who make the decision about a rejection or uh, uh, an accept, uh, acceptance or major revision, minor revision, et cetera. So that's kind of how we do the flow. The main, one, one thing that I wanted to say, I should have said earlier is that the key, the key criterion 
for even getting it, getting a paper to review is whether there's a credible counterfactual to, mm. you know, for, for the program or policy that's being uh, evaluated. If there's no such counterfactual, if there's no credible one, and the, the authors did not bother to actually say something about that, that's a clear desk rejection from all of us. Very good. And how many how many managing editors do you have? Well, as far as I know, there's just me and the, essentially the editor in chief, who sort of acts as a managing editor as well. Okay. Uh, it's the the journal is ten years old, and yeah. so I don't know if uh, I th that's definitely younger than your former mm -hmm. journal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you, Lawrence. Yes, so uh, for the Journal of Agricultural Education Extension, JAE, um, I'm yeah one of the editors-in-chiefs. So the workflow is that we have an editorial assistant who receives all the manuscripts and divides them between Kristen Davis and myself. And then we have a first look at them. And during that round, I desk reject all those submissions which are yeah poorly prepared, huh? so either they're not... Uh, in, in line with with the aims and scope of the journal or they are a very nice study but not well embedded within the broader debates in the journal so yeah, they can be really nice study on a particular region somewhere in the world but they don't show what they add to the broader literature that's also a reason for just rejection um, but for those studies uh, that that pass that first screening so they do show this is what we aim to contribute they articulate well the contribution then we move them on to the handling editors. We have uh, six with JEE, uh, also to keep the workload manageable for all the different persons involved. So then I assign based on uh, the different um, capabilities of the editors. Uh, they have a specific expertise. So there's an editor who's better versed with quantitative approaches. I assign a lot of quantitative work to that editor. Uh, I also look at regions, so we try to have a balanced distribution. We have somebody from Latin America, somebody from Africa, a couple of people from Europe, uh, also an editor from uh, from Asia. So also that matters in terms of how we uh, assign the papers. Obviously, the workload needs to be manageable. So if they already have a high number of um, assignments, sometimes it might end up with another editor, which is not from a specific region. And basically, then these people, they do the whole uh, sending out for review, they assess the review reports and they give me an advice and then I will look at their advice. Uh, I sometimes will have another look at the paper, might add a bit of extra uh, advice or recommendations and then typically I follow their decision. And for agricultural systems, I'm in kind of the handling editor position, so there I get manuscripts assigned from Val Snow, who's the editor-in-chief, who does basically the same as I do for JEE. So she's, uh, she, she filters out all those uh, submissions which do not meet basic quality criteria and sends them on to me. If there's doubt, we can also discuss it. And I also have the liberty to say, no, this is not good enough. I also will desk reject or I will send it back for further work. Um, but typically, uh, all the, the, the papers she assigns to me, I will, I will look for reviewers uh, in the area to, to get them reviewed. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Ashok. Okay, so in agricultural economics, my uh, co-editor, uh, Avudu, who's in Germany, he gets up earlier than me, so he, he gets to assign papers. So he takes half of the stock, I take the other half. 
And what I do is basically go through the, each paper and read the first couple of pages, look at what contributions and what's the objective. And right away, 65% of the papers are rejected uh, in that case. Uh, they may not have strong contribution. If bad writing, whatever it is, it goes out the door. If I have a conflict of interest in that particular scenario, when I get the paper, I assign it to my associate editors. So we have about 15 to 20 associate editors, a good composition of male, females around the world, uh, you can talk about, and they are experts in their uh, fields and who want to serve and have served very well for us. Uh, so they will take over the paper, then they can decide what they want to do with that. Either read the paper and then decide it's good enough to go out and get reviews, uh, they will do that. Otherwise, they write a letter to me saying these are things and we need to reject it. So I'll do that from there. So like this year, we already have 850 submissions. So our acceptance rate is about 8%. Um, one of the questions that was, in a sense, how much stock should the authors put in the makeup of the associate editors or something? Like that? I, I think that's, in our journal, that's kind of irrelevant because uh, like I said, it's a wide distribution of articles, topics, areas of expertise, and those kind of things. So the, the one thing I strongly recommend to each of these authors is to write a fantastic paper, the best yeah. paper they have written, and go from there. Yeah, Shuk, that's a that's a great point. Um and and <clears throat> it's a good uh it's a it's it's an excellent bit of advice for um especially for junior junior scholars thinking about writing papers I, I i know that we all you know when you're looking at submitting a submitting a paper to a journal it's it's it is tempting to kind of pour over the editorial board and imagine how this this editor or that editor might respond to the paper and we have this kind of vision that that they they have kind of predisposed preferences that would either you know favor or or disfavor your paper but Ashuk, I think you're exactly right. I think that 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 sort of gamesmanship doesn't get you very far. What what does is writing good papers and and like really focusing on the quality of writing and um, and I'll, and uh, so my my personal experience at AJAE, um, it, the structure is a little bit like what Ashuk just described at agricultural economics. So we have four co-editors. And we handle. There's a little bit of a process for divvying up submissions across those four, the four co-editors, um, and then we kind of rely on a on a, a board that includes about 30 or 32 associate editors, and we kind of rely on them as as reviewers, but also as like you know kind of tiebreakers or if there's some complexity or so. So we do use those associate editors. Um, but Ashuk, that's very good. That's very good advice. Um, uh, the 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 next question I have for each of you is um, is sort of how you envision your role as an editor and um, partly this question is like this is of interest to me because it's something that as editor you kind of have to feel your way on and it's not something I guess you you know your how you see your role as an editor might evolve as you serve in your editor position or as you kind of go to different you know serve with different journals but um, there, there's some, some editors I know uh, are fairly hands-off and they feel like their role is to is to sort of manage a process where and really manage and moderate kind of this this academic or scholarly exchange between reviewers and the authors 
and and as long as they kind of guide that in the right way you know they trust that the outcome is is going to be uh that the, the kind of the peer-reviewed outcome is is going to be better for it right and there's so there's sort of these editors editors that think of just mediating that exchange there are other editors i think who um who almost become uh kind of ghost authors on papers and become very involved in suggesting how to you know restructure the paper and 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 it's not just like kind of arm's length moderating a, a dialogue with reviewers um so i'd be curious just to hear you reflect on on sort of how you see in that spectrum kind of where you think you are and why why you function that way as an editor elizabeth so I think the editor-in-chief is, is a mediator and also a uh, like a, somebody who, well, somebody who's going to assign the papers. But then our editor-in-chief also acts, serves as a sort of a managing editor. And so I'm one of the managing editors. And that means to say more, I think I do more than just kind of manage the flow of uh, reviewers. And I think as I've grown into the role, and my role in a future, in a past uh, previous uh, journal, I also played more the role that probably what you would call guest author almost. And that's really because we want to encourage new authors. And you know, young authors don't necessarily know how to publish, right? And especially if these are authors from countries where the research community is not very well developed. And we want to have this, our journal is about development. And so we want to encourage submissions from authors in developing countries. And so many of them are not native English speakers. So definitely sort of uh, grammatical uh, issues are it's something that we have to manage. But the other is just, not, the other thing is just uh, getting submissions from, from researchers who are relatively young researchers. So in that case, I tend to say, well, you know, it looks like this your paper can is actually a much better paper than what you are sort of doing with it. And you can tell if the data sets are good, the if the questions are, are, are good, the theory, the the placing the, the research into the debate, the important debates, those are kind of important and young authors don't necessarily always know how to sell their papers so that's something that i feel is a when i spot a, a, an author who so, sort of sounds like a young author right then i go into that mode a bit of of of, of guiding more the presentation of the paper and then there are those of course that there's just nothing there, not much, not much in the way of exposition, not much in the way of the, the quality of the analysis. And those ones, I don't have to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, good. Lawrence. Yes, um, I would say in my case, it, it differs a bit from paper to paper. I won't say that I ever will take had a complete ghost author role because I don't have time for it. So. <laughs> Uh, it's just I don't have the time to go through each paper and then give very detailed comments. I also think, also in the case of, of young authors, that it's the responsibility of their uh, supervisors or their collaborators 
Uh, so it's also important to discuss these issues in a team. Hey, when is a paper mature? When can you send it, for example? But um, yeah, it depends a little bit uh, on the quality of the reviews. Uh, if the reviews are really good and also are in line with each other, uh, you can basically say, you know, follow the reviews uh, um, and I won't interfere much. Uh, or the handling editor, I won't give a, a lot of comments. Um, if, if the reviews are contrasting, you might say, uh, yeah, I, I see kind of contrasting views, but try to pick this and this up uh, or pay more attention to this and this. Uh, there you also give your own opinion. Obviously, it requires that you read the paper and it needs to be a paper where you, where you can actually say something. Uh, you can't do that with all papers because we also have our own biases and our weaknesses. I'm not an expert in all areas. So basically, yeah, it, it differs a bit. Huh? Um, what I also see as the task of an editor is protecting uh, authors from evil reviewers. I do find that reviewers need to write well-founded um, comments also in a friendly manner. Um, I haven't seen this that much yet myself, but I've seen it also with my colleagues. For example, reviewers who just push their own citations without any further explanation, I will keep them out. I don't tolerate that and I will send them a message that, that it's not appropriate behavior, that citation pushing, it's just not ethical. Uh, also, yeah, if they have, have, a, have a yeah unfriendly tone, uh, I, 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 yeah, I might say, you know, don't take it as harsh, uh, uh, but that also would require a response to the review to say, please, next time, write it in a different way. Yeah, we're not here to, to, to give each other bad feelings. We're here to raise the quality of science, and it can also be done in a constructive way. So in that sense, I, I, I go a little bit more towards, like, not the ghost author role, but a little bit more an, an, an active, actively intervening editor. But it, it, it really also depends on the quality of the reviews, and sometimes also the handling editor takes care of it and then I don't need to do much. So it, it, it varies from case to case. Yeah, excellent. That You, you raise a really good point that, uh, you know, and I, and I think all of us would agree, I'm sure, in our in our kind of editorial roles that, you know, our, our goal really is to publish the best, the best papers we can. And sort of how we get there is this peer review process that that's not always linear and it's and it's sometimes Sometimes it is contentious, and so the editor is kind of moderating in in, in that dialogue. Um, but but that uh, the the role that we sometimes play as as mediator, um, it it really can in the end it can improve the quality of the final product, right? And and Lawrence, you make that point really well that it's um, like picking good reviewers. You know, and and just to, we'll get to a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about reviewers um, maybe later in the conversation. But you know, it, it it is it is clearly in the best interest of editors to 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 line up the very best reviewers that we can on a given paper, right? I mean, there. So so sometimes I think authors feel like the you know selection of reviewers is somehow it's the the whole process is is kind of tipped uh, against them in some way, it, it, it biased against accepting the paper. But it's clear that the, you know, the, the, the best peer review process is one that, that includes, uh, you know, a good submission, but also really thoughtful reviewers. And sometimes the way the reviewers actually handle a paper is, is very much kind of uh, a reflection of the, of the direction they get from the editor. And so that's, that's, that's a really good point that you raise. Ashuk. Okay, so uh, in the case of agricultural economics, so I serve as a mediator between authors and reviewers. So 
we do the same thing like Lawrence talked about or Elizabeth talked about. We, we just go back and forth between the reviewers and the authors. And if there is some kind of uh, grudges against the reviewer or author, sometimes the reviewer will say, oh, I have seen this paper in the previous journal and the authors did not take my advice or something like that. So people need to be careful in that case because authors would take a paper rejected by AJE and directly repackage it and send it back Say, okay, send it to AE International, but authors don't know what is the highest probability of getting the same reviewer again, you know? And so in that case, we have to kind of intervene and say, hey, you, you already did this thing before and I'm sorry, you know, or you need to go back and redo and then resubmit it in a sense. So that kind of things can take place. But um, I also do a ghost editor, uh, co-authorship like Elizabeth was saying with my newer journal Jade where most of the paper comes from developing and emerging economies where I look at it and say yeah the topic is good the hypothesis is good the writing is bad or they haven't formatted the to the journal style whatever it is so I try to unsubmit that thing back to them and say hey you need to find somebody to co-author with or somebody to write with you or some senior person who can help you do that I like the paper I will take it later on if you resubmit it in the right format with good English, make it perfect, you know. I, and I have done that about, in that in that journal, I hold a lot of hands just because knowing the audience and knowing where the authors are from, I do that much more in that uh, journal. But uh, in any way, I would just tell all these authors, all these uh, young economists who are working, just submit the best work and at the best time, don't hurry in anything. You know, you may publish one less paper, but it should be the best paper you published in a sense. Very good. Um, so we're 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 getting um, we're getting a number of questions submitted, which is great. So we appreciate those. So we're gonna we'll change it up a little bit. Instead of doing kind of a round robin with each of you, uh, kind of offering thoughts on a given question, we may bounce around a little bit more. And and I may direct uh, some of these questions um, specifically to one or or another of the panelists. Um, one of the questions we got, uh, Ashuk, I'll direct to you, was uh, based on this is a, a question from uh, Nayu which is uh, based on a question you asked uh, or that you uh, a statement you made about um looking for contribution to the field and and part of this question is also kind of i guess about theory and empirics so maybe maybe uh you can just reflect a little bit more on what you look for that that kind of defines contribution to the field and how important theory versus empirics in a paper are in the way that you make that assessment so uh, let me get back to the uh, theory versus the empirics kind of thing so if you are going to analyze a particular problem, you need to establish that there is a theoretical correlation, what, what you're looking at, and then move from there to saying, okay, this is what I'm going to test in Indonesia, looking at the palm oil industry, whatever it is. So once you have established that right in first two pages, that can really get me and say, nowadays is much more common to say, here are the contributions of this paper to the literature saying a b and c and i can then read through those couple of pages and say yeah that really makes because in that two pages where you're citing saying this is what i'm trying to test and this is my theory this is my link to the empirics i'm looking at link to the literature that is so you have established that there are there you're you're pushing the envelope a little bit further out 
and saying this is the contribution. So establishing the because just running a regression and showing something like that will not cut it in, in, in the new we are, we are all looking for a very small space to publish and with all thousands of journals and thousands of reviewers out there who are reviewing paper daily in and out uh it the the the, the sounding board has to be when you start writing paper or when you start doing an experiment see so how is it different than mishra did it in 1997 or how is it different than DuPont did it in 1938 or something like that? So ask that question and then try to establish one step at a time theory, empirics, and then discussions and conclusions and those kind of things. Yeah, good, good. Uh, let me broaden it to, to Elizabeth and Lawrence. Do either of you have a reflection on what what it mean, what contribution to the field means in the way that you operationalize that at, at your respective journals? I said earlier that um, discussing the credible counterfactual is a key, you know, it, it, it is a key criterion for for even looking at a paper, right? So, um, and in some cases, I, I and and also the an, another would be that it's not exactly the same sort of uh, uh, a repeat of another of an impact evaluation of exactly the same treatment only in this country so rather than so so it has to have it cannot just be about here's another country with exactly the same program or same policy and this and we're now applying the same method and sometimes i think some you know researchers do think that if they just change from country a to country b that would be a contribution we do just like what ashok was saying that you know we do want the paper to be much more reflective about the debates, the broader debate about why does something work or not work? Why does a program or policy work or not work? So it has to have that, it has to be much more a reflection of how the develop of how development, the development process takes place. So if it can do that and give us, in addition to the statistical sort of quality of the of the piece. It has to also be able to move the thinking about the field forward. Now, I can I can do that for some of the fields that I know, but of course, I don't always know. I don't know that because we are much more multi multi sectoral rather than multidisciplinary. It's multi sectoral, so I might get something on agriculture or get something in macro or something else. So we will assign those papers to the the appropriate. Uh, editors, but the key point is always: Do you have a credible counterfactual, and are you moving the understanding about that particular sector forward? Mm -hmm. Good, Lawrence. Any other reflections on contribution to the field? No, I really uh, echo Elizabeth. Uh, it needs to advance the debate. So each paper needs to have, by the end of its introduction, a problematization: What is it? What we do not know. Uh, how does this uh, move the thinking in an area uh, forward? So I get a lot of studies, uh, needs assessment of uh, uh, agricultural education students in this area or that area. It's very fine and it's very relevant as a report, but it doesn't move uh, the, the debate forward. It doesn't have like a broader relevance for an international audience. So that is also what I always say when I desk reject because I always give a small reason. Uh, that I say it's it's not like irrelevant work, 
but you don't make it relevant for a broader audience. Yeah. So you, you really need to be on top of where is the state of the art and how do you go beyond? And you need to articulate that. Yeah. And preferably uh, quite rapidly in the paper and also don't make new kind of problem statement pop up all over the paper. I want to see it concentrated in one place and also want to see an answer at the end. Uh, so that we know this is what the contribution is. And for doing that, you must know what has been done both in the journal, but also an adjacent journal. It's not that we only need citations from the journal, uh, but you do need to show at least I've made an effort to read what is in the journal where I'm sending my work to. Yeah. Uh, and, and also that I sometimes see papers which clearly have been submitted elsewhere. I think Ashok also mentioned that they have been rejected and then they try another one without thinking. That is not the way to go. Then you will get 20 desk rejects in a row. Yeah. That's a that's a good point, and I and I think it echoes something that came up in the first the first of these webinars um, was this point that you know getting rejected that happens to everyone, uh, but there's there's sort of a good and a bad way to respond to a rejection, and the and the bad way as as hopefully our audience is sort of picking up here. I think all of us have said it in different ways. Is um, the the bad way is to is to just immediately shuffle it off to somewhere else without really thinking about what the reviewer said or what the concern was or what the problems were and so that's really good advice right i mean that that yeah um it, it the way i always instruct my own uh kind of advisees students is you know it's it it's uh if if you have a revise and resubmit you know it's amazing the lengths to which we will go to try to satisfy reviewers i mean we'll spend weeks and weeks and weeks working on a paper to try to satisfy a reviewer but if it's not if it's instead a, a very detailed thoughtful referee report that ends with a rejection we're much more likely to be dismissive of the whole thing and just move on and just try to get to that r and r and then say i'll you know i'll spend my time revising the paper and that's definitely the wrong approach right i mean the 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 the, the feedback we get in a rejection can be just as useful but you kind of have it takes a certain meekness or humility to actually like embrace it and say okay how, how am i going to make this paper better not just because there's a chance that you draw the same reviewer right but but because the point is to point of the process is to make the paper better right um uh one 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 more question just from the from the group this growing set of questions we have from the audience and this one elizabeth i'll direct to you um and that you mentioned kind of multi-sectoral that that your the paper the submissions you get cover a lot of different sectors. Mm -hmm. Do you um do you to to what extent do you um uh, do you see mixed methods? I mean, do you do you do you get submissions from different fields, uh, qualitative more qualitative than quantitative? Like, what is the, what sort of the, give us a sense of the range of 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 disciplines or methods that that you see uh, at your journal and how do you how do you sort of evaluate these differently given different standards right so so the 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 current i guess thinking about the gold standard in impact evaluation is that you have to have a randomized control trial and so that's sort of when people have something like that they think that's sufficient and they want to submit a paper. But actually, that it's not sufficient because in some cases, you don't really understand, so why did you get a positive result or no result, right? So you need to 
So it, it would even be better for some of those randomized control trials to actually then enrich that with some qualitative information to try to understand why you're getting what you're getting, right? And why do you want to believe what it is that you're getting? Because in some cases, it, it, in impact evaluation, it's also possible to game it, even if it's a randomized control trial. It's possible, right? So you want to understand there might be other reasons other than the program or the, the treatment that you're, or the intervention you're looking at. So trying to, trying to go behind that in terms of the eco, well, you know, economics or the sociology of why you're seeing what you're seeing is very important. Um, we would like to see much more mixed methods in, in general, than just sort of a, you know, a, a blind, a blind, a blinded way of just looking at whether you've got a treatment or a control in a randomized control trial. We just because if you want to think about the, the development process as a whole, you need to think about what a treatment in a in a certain area of a country, how how you think that might actually. What, what lessons does that hold for the, the bigger economy or the bigger country? So, so that is what I mean also by a mixed method, is, is thinking about what, how you use what you find from a RCT, what that means in terms of the broader development process. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think for that, you know, uh, researchers can say, okay, we also did some focus groups. We also used the bigger data set from the country and looked to see are we, you know, is, is, are the results we're, we're getting um, sort of a, a, sort of a, a, a strange result or, or does it actually resonate with other data and also other literature, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good. Lawrence, do you um any any thoughts on qualitative submissions or submissions that include uh, kind of significant qualitative methods as as part of the paper? Uh, you you mean in terms of like positioning uh, the paper? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they they basically need to articulate you know what is the relevance uh, of this case study. Uh, also for other places. So, for example, if it's about like learning amongst advisors, just to name a topic, uh, and that can be in a certain state of Nigeria, or it can be in Chile, or it can be in China, uh, yeah. then you need to make plausible, we can learn something from this uh, beyond this immediate case. That is what I'm looking for. Uh, and that also means that you need to uh, read what have other people done on this topic. You need to position that in your introduction. Then you also need to come up with a good kind of framework to analyze it, and that can be different ways. Huh? There's not one framework; it can be a generic framework, huh? or knowledge exchange, tacit knowledge, explicit knowledge, or whatever. Huh? Um, so, as long as you can show, I've done this with like a, a rigorous approach. There's a good thinking behind it, and then there's quite some diversity possible. Uh, and and then and, and there's a place for 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 work from all around the planet. The JAEA and also agricultural systems 
uh, they publish from all continents, uh, but it needs to meet those requirements that you show we can learn something more broadly. Yeah. Uh, and even if you say the uniqueness is that nobody has ever studied this region, then still you need to show we see that this resembles findings elsewhere. We see the same as has happened maybe in other places, but we also see something special that might be due to this specific location. You need to make that clear. And, and often uh, that is what uh, submissions then don't make it, don't do. They don't make that clear. They just say, here are some nice results. And that is also, and I've also noted this as a co-author, as a collaborator, that in some places people don't think about where will I publish this? They just do a study and then they go and think, oh, let's publish it. And nobody's waiting for it. Right. You need to know, is there an audience already at the moment that you execute your study? And I know that in some circumstances, this is not easy because you're commissioned to do work. But then also during the process already think, how should I frame this? It's also about framing. And, and it can even be saying, this is like a study repeating earlier work yeah, because replication has become increasingly important. But I, I think even then you need to make the case for why do you replicate? Yeah. And that's basically what you need to do in that introduction. Make the case, this paper matters. Yeah, good. And, and it is, we do have a, a question here about, um, you know, when, when you're all handling lots and lots of submissions and questions about how, how do you how do you make an assessment of a paper? Uh, clearly, um, you're not you don't have time to read hundreds and hundreds of submissions every month, and so there is a certain uh, so it is sort of you know reading the introduction. Uh, I mean, my own experience, like uh, I usually I usually tried to read the introduction almost every word just because it it was like the author's opportunity to pitch the paper and mm -hmm. and but then but then beyond that, just kind of like bouncing around a little bit to get a feel. Um, it, it so so one one question I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of take a stab at this at answering a question and then if if any of you want to kind of chime in we have a question from uh, Gashau Alamu um, who's uh, with Ifpri um, and he says uh, he says I'm becoming to believe that rejection acceptance is a matter of chance am I right um, so my my sense from my time editing and as associate editor is that um, while there is while there is an element, there is sort of some randomness to the process because there is, um, you know, like the, the who the reviewers are and whether there's a timely review and and you know one thing that's that's hard to appreciate until you're an editor is just how how much arm twisting it can take with some reviewers to get them to submit a review and on time and so there's a lot of that going on. So there's an element of random, randomness um, in the ultimate outcome of a submission, but I think it's, I think it's uh, far overwhelmed by um, what I really think is sort of the, um, the, the, well, the deterministic piece, which is like, you know, if you submitted the same paper in a parallel universe ten times, how many times would it get rejected at AJAE, and how many times would it be accepted? And I think. I think actually those par those sort of submissions across parallel universes would be actually would have a pretty high correlation. I think uh, I think that the process. My sense is that the process plays out in a way that's um, that's reasonably consistent. And and I, I mean my own sense reflecting on my time is that um, I actually my my faith in the peer review process was not diminished by by being engaged in the process as an editor. Um, I certainly appreciate this kind of that. Yeah, sometimes you get a, re a referee report that is that seems a little bit out there. Um, 
but the editor, I think an editor actually kind of serves as this as kind of a moderating influence in those cases. But any any um any reflections on this? Like how how much of this peer review process is random versus like you know systematic and deterministic and and really kind of pushing towards uh, better publications? That's open. Any any other any okay. thoughts? Warren, you were going to say something. Yeah. Um, there might be some randomness in it, um, in terms that that sometimes it's just little, you know, details which make you kind of flip towards like desk reject or not. But they're also like uh, you can you can influence that as an author by a maybe writing a very good cover letter, making clear why is this paper relevant to the journal, so you can kind of uh, determine part of your your own fate. Um, sometimes, yeah, it also depends on indeed how many submissions how how much possibility is there also to for example delegate it to handling editors to do an additional screening that's what i sometimes do if i can't really assess it i pass it on i ask screen it first and you tell me do i need to desk reject or do you want to process it further uh, um, but sometimes yeah it's also it depends also on journals i have a, an own experience with um, agriculture and human values we would have one of the editors on board but they couldn't make it and I had two what I thought uh, critical uh, assessments, but not like devastating. They were uh, constructive. I would have said major revision, but there it was that it was still a print journal with space limitation because I, I wrote kind of an expression of concern. I said, I've seen this now several times, both as a reviewer and now as an editor, I see two perfectly constructive reviews. Why is this being rejected still? And he said, yeah, I have a very, limited number so that also determines it and some journals they are uh, they, they they publish as they go they don't have like that that page limit etc so there 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 are all kinds of factors and some are really just like yeah silly factors uh, they shouldn't play a role but they nevertheless play a role and I, I, that can be demotivating to to authors but it's the reality editors sometimes have to live with yeah yeah good let's uh, we're going to shift, and I'll, I'll kind of be coming back to some of the other questions we have uh, that we won't get to all of them, but th there's some really good questions coming in. But let me shift to a little bit more to the submissions and resubmissions that that you handle, and and I'll start back with you, uh, Elizabeth, and then go to Ashok. So, um, what what kind of uh, words of wisdom do you have for authors in? You know, as they prepare a paper for submission. So, you, your journal probably, like all journals, has kind of author guidelines that has some. So, you're you're looking for some some specific formatting and some. Um, but based on your experience, are there are there specific best practices that you see in the in preparing a journal a paper for submission that that you think you know, really make, really facilitate the job of an editor or reviewer, right? What What is it that, in terms of how someone writes a paper and how it's structured and how well they adhere to author guidelines, any any reflections on on the, on the preparing a manuscript for submission? Right, so in, in, in the journal where I'm in right now, I don't see a whole lot of issues with respect to the formatting of the submission in my, in a former um, journal, it was, the simplest guidelines about formatting, you know, and authors don't follow. Double space, word count limit, et cetera. Th those are the things that are very, very simple way of just making a paper 
go through the very basic process of screening, right? So there's a basic screening level and authors, please do follow the guidelines for those. And then the other would be, of course, the sum of what you have all said, which is right at the beginning, you need to be able to say, what is this paper about? And what is the contribution of this paper to the broader understanding of that topic and other places, right? So that's a second point. And also, I think it helps very much if the authors have in their minds when they're preparing their paper, to already know what are the highlights from this paper. So I think if the authors actually organize themselves accordingly, what are the five highlights from this paper, then one can actually probably rewrite the introduction of many papers accordingly and make that much more important you know much clearer to the reader the other thing is actually is is really also uh english the grammatical quality of the writing and what's interesting is i've seen papers where the literature review is perfect in terms of grammar and english and then really horrible discussion of the results and conclusion and i get the sense well you have co-authorships collaborations and so the authors did not all read the whole paper in its entirety and probably after they each got their sections written and somebody put them together and sent them or even more insidious suspicion here would be it was the and that comes to mind is that it was really a there's some possibly plagiarism of the literature review. And then somebody, the real authors wrote the rest of the paper. In any case, it's very important to actually have co-authored papers where somebody reads the whole thing. And so you have co coherence, not just in the content, but also in the style. Yeah, excellent. Ashok, any any other reflections on on preparing a manuscript for submission and whether that's adherence to author guidelines or maybe writing? You mentioned writing before, kind of the quality of writing, the exposition. Any any other advice based on what you've seen? Well, one of the high points I was going to say is that uh, the, every paper that I have seen, I've done many journals editing, and now uh, one of the best things I see from Scandinavia, they follow the to the point, and uh, I really admire people from Scandinavia doing their job and preparing and everything else. I had one example where somebody from IFPRI, sorry to say that, but somebody just dumped the discussion paper as paper. And uh, there was 80 pages of paper, you know, it's, it's like you look at this thing coming in, I was like, it's mind boggling, why would you do that? So take your time to parse out the, even if it's a discussion paper, take out your time to parse out the paper put the contribution up front and those kinds of things. So take your time, uh, that's what I was say. Take your time to do all those things, don't rush. Don't try to uh, submit, like I have seen a couple of times, uh, the author has submitted the paper, but the co-authors, like Elizabeth was saying, that the co-author didn't even know they were co-authors. And I said like, uh, the, the writing doesn't sound like that you have contributed to this. Uh, oh no, <laughs> I did not. I don't know why they put my name. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful in those kind of things. And because as editors, I can follow up with people, whatever it is, in a sense, to find out because if it doesn't make sense, front part, 
doesn't add up to the back part and something is going wrong, it can be easily be caught. And then that's not a good reflection on you or in the profession where we try to police these uh, uh, papers coming out and scientific discoveries that are being placed uh, into print. So, yeah. Good. I'll pick up on that and just share a couple of reflections of my own, as I think this is a this is a really important point that um, we mentioned earlier that, uh, that that this process is not random, and so you know there 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 you could you could think this, and I think for some young scholars, in fact, I may have been guilty of this as a as as a young researcher. Um, you, you know you can you can. You can have too much faith in the in the process in a way, and you can think, you know what, all this kind of window dressing of how it's framed and how I, you know, whether it's whether it's a discussion paper, or whether it's a chapter from my dissertation, whether it's written as a paper, that none of that should matter, right? Because the peer review process should really get at like the quality of the contribution, and it should be able to kind of parse that out. That's clearly a naive perspective on on papers, right? Um, and so I think the point that you're making, Ashut, that's very good is. Um, you know, take the time to turn it into what looks like a paper. Um, it's it's very easy as an editor. It's very easy to look at a submission and see that it's essentially a chapter from a thesis, a master's thesis, or a PhD, and with not a whole lot of thought to like how writing a paper for submission to the AJAE would look different than writing a chapter for a dissertation. I think that's and that takes a lot of work, right? The the reason the reason we get those, I'm sure. Uh, and and I sort of we, we all sort of have this dilemma when you're preparing a paper, which is like how much work do I put into this before I submit it? Like how much is how much is good enough? Uh, but the point I think that's very important to underscore here is that um, that the quality it's really hard to assess the quality of the contribution if if it doesn't look in form or in degree of polish like a submission to that journal, right? I mean that takes some time to kind of push it to that point. Um, so I, I just, I just sure, want to sure. add to that, Travis. Yeah, go ahead. No, the, the thing I was going to say is like, even if you pass the first hurdle and say the reviewers, reviewers don't have time to go back and instruct you how to put it together because they're reviewing left and right and they maybe have good intentions, but they, they read the first four pages and said, this is not going to cut it. I'm not going to read it, you know, and they just throw it back even so there are a lot of like you said there is randomness but there's also a lot of people don't have time to do that so it yeah. incumbent upon you to put your best foot forward no, that's, exactly that's a that's a that's a very good way of putting it um i mean could, could I, what, I tell, what i tell my advisor advisees is that you know when you submit a paper everyone who everyone who touches that paper is probably overworked and and probably doesn't have a lot of time and so what that means is everyone who touches it in some way is going to be looking for a reason to reject it because that makes their life easier right that's a little bit cynical but it, but not so much because i mean that the, the the reviewers are looking to kind of yeah they have their own papers they have so it's good to sort of have in mind that there there's not a there's not a whole stable of of professionals who who just wait to get you know they just can't wait to get the next submission that they're going to handle i mean they're they're we're all sort of juggling a lot of things and so it's good to have it's good to advocate for the editors and reviewers by how you frame the paper lawrence it looked like you were going to say something yeah no interesting because obviously we as editors we we are also still reviewers um so 
if a paper is not kind of structurally well done, you get to the point where you say, do I get myself into trouble if I go detailed? So as an experienced reviewer, I now have kind of a cutoff point. I say, no, this paper, I will do a couple of major points. I won't go into details. And sometimes even out of self-protection, I do that because I know if I go into it, it will cost me three rounds and I become almost a co-author. And a reviewer is not a co-author and should not desire to become one. Uh, sometimes also reviewers should should not want that because sometimes they do. Uh, so so indeed, if you structure well, you you get them on board. You you make them want to read your paper, paper, and that also includes decent preparation. And now some of the publishing houses, like Elsevier, have it: your paper, your way. And it's fine for references. I don't care about reference styles, almost. That people can take care of that later. I do care for the sake of my reviewers. And if I'm a reviewer for my own sake, I want continuous line numbering. I don't yeah. want to say on page three, middle paragraph, I want to say line this and line 50, this point, line 50 to 55, these points. Make their lives easy. Uh, also in your revision notes, say I did this because of this, there and there in this line. Uh, don't make them guess what you did. Make reviewers' lives as easy as possible. Uh, and then you will also get better results as, a, as an author often, because it might mean the difference between that they say, oh, gee, this paper, no, I won't do it. Or they say, okay, it takes some work, but uh, it's manageable also for me, and I will give good comments because it's easy for me to do so. So that's yeah. also preparation. Yeah, good, good. Um, question on citation. So earlier, Lawrence, you mentioned uh, citation pushing on the part of reviewers. Um, how important and maybe uh maybe elizabeth mm -hmm. how important is it that submissions cite work that is published in your journal yeah this is this is a tricky part huh, because it needs to be uh, appropriate and there's ethics involved and i've also as an author i have been i was still a very young author a victim of coercive citation on part of an editor basically after accepting saying oh you're not up to date enough maybe use some more reference from this and this journal happened to be journal that person was part of the editorial board that's unethical uh, yeah. doing it in that way but uh, i don't think it's unrealistic and unfair to ask at least show that you know where what this journal is about and uh, mm -hmm. so at least you know read some of it and if it's appropriate cite it but not citing just for the sake of it and uh, so it needs to be appropriate and that's also with reviewers i don't mind reviewers uh, uh, suggesting work, but if yeah. they say uh, literature review is incomplete, all these works need to be cited only from the reviewer. Yeah, that's crossing clearly a boundary of ethical behavior. So uh, it needs to be appropriate. That's yeah. I think yeah. the key word here. Good, good. Uh, Elizabeth, let me ask you one question so, here. So from just, a, just on that oh, one, very okay. quickly. It's not important sure. for for us. We feel that. If the, the technical quality of the journal is high, then that's what that should be sufficient to to bring more scholars to, to cite the uh, yeah. papers in the journal. But it's citation citing the papers in the journal is not important for us. And as 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 Lawrence was saying, it, it, however, some reviewers feel that they have to get their papers advertised. Yeah. Uh, et cetera. Anyway. 
So we'll sh shift gears just a little bit to a question we received from Valerie Senko, a PhD student in Italy, um, who says, who asks, uh, this is about replication, but I think Elizabeth, it would be interesting for you to reflect on this. Developing on the use of different case or countries, but using similar statistical analyses. So I think you mentioned something about this earlier. What is your position on repetition of other exper uh, experiments, replication? So in your case, how important, if, 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 uh, if say an RCT has been done in one context, how, you know, how, how, do you, how do you assess the contribution of a replication of that same RCT, maybe the same intervention, but in a different context or country? So as I was saying earlier, I think it's not sufficient to just repeat or just replicate in another country exactly the same thing. There has to be some reflection on why, let's say the results might differ or the results might be the same. In fact, the choice of the other country, the, the choice of the, the context that's being analyzed is itself telling about whether the authors have reflected enough on the importance of the context to the results that's, that's being uh, discovered. So it's very important to actually to, to give some reason for the choice of the country. And then if you get different or similar results to also reflect on that. Um, so it's not sufficient to just, because it's not a, our journal, it's not a replication journal. I think there must be, there are outlets for replication work. And so that's where authors who decided to just replicate something should go. But our journal is really more about understanding the development process through yeah. impact evaluation. Yeah, Excuse me, I'm going to turn on the lights because we're we're losing sunlight. Oh no, the sunlight, the sun is playing <laughs> playing with us here. Excuse me. Yeah. You know, speaking of sun, so the sun is just rising here in California. So I'm watching the sunrise out my window just to give you a sense of place. Um, I, one one thing, Mark Mark asked a question here about, uh, and it's something I mentioned, so I'll just comment on this. Um, he asked, what's the difference between a well-written thesis chapter and a journal article? And um, I guess, I mean, I, I mentioned something about that, so I'll just try to clarify. What I meant by that is that, you know, I mean, one part that is often clear to me uh, that sort of distinguishes a, uh, that gives away a submission as a as sort of a lightly edited, lightly revised thesis chapter, is usually that the there's usually a lengthy discussion of methods that um, about regression or about Tobit or about you know some probit estimator or and then and then often the lit review the lit review often kind of gives it away as well because the lit a lit review in a in a thesis you know when we're when a student's still trying to kind of learn how to pull together a lit review often they kind of sprawl over many, many pages and it's a little bit of a catalog of like, then this author did this and then this author, this, they did and so-and-so at all, then 99 did that. And it, and it comes across as a little bit of a catalog, a full inventory of people who've done any work related. So those are the two places where I see, you know, a, a paper needs to be much more concise and, and kind of move on with the, with the narrative, right? I mean, it's like you, you want, you want the, you want those um, the the lit review to kind of be woven into the storyline in a way that is not like it's not like okay now now let me now now here's the sort of inventory of related work 
the same with the methods, right? I mean, it's sort of knowing the audience well enough, knowing the kind of papers that are published, who the readers are in that journal, gives you a sense of how much detail you need to include on the methods. And sometimes, sometimes just mentioning this is what you're doing is enough, and you don't need a paragraph that, to, talking about what assumptions about the the error term are necessary for that to be the, the appropriate estimator. Um, so that uh, that he, he Mark asks another question that uh, maybe I'll just throw out there to to you. This is a very a, a very minor point, but but can be an important one, which is how important is it that authors submitting a manuscript write a cover letter to you? And does what they write in the cover letter to you, the editor, does it change the way that you uh, handle the paper, the submission? Yes. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, usually to me, it doesn't matter because I have to go and read the paper first, right? So you can explain it to me in the cover letter, uh, and, and but still I have to go back and read and try to make a sense out of that because uh, there's a whole lot in the cover letter and I want to see exactly what it is. So, but in some cases nowadays, the authors don't even submit cover letters. They just yeah. become too emboldened like, hey, let's let the review process work out. Right. I, I think they just assume that the that the editor doesn't even look at the cover letter. Sometimes you're searching for the cover letter and there's nothing, there's no blank files in there. So it's important to write a cover letter and don't try to push that, oh, these could be potential reviewers yeah. in the cover letter because I'm not going to go to those mm -hmm. suggested ones anyways. And, and uh, regardless of what you say in the cover letter, it just makes your point that why I should read the myself read the paper and then go through that. But still, I'm going to read uh, the paper. Uh, Lawrence or Elizabeth, any other, any different thoughts about the cover letter? Not yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it replaces, sorry, Elizabeth, I don't think it replaces the reading of the paper, but it already shows that authors are making an effort to show why the paper is relevant for the journal. So authors who don't submit cover letters often haven't thought about, uh, or not as explicitly, and why this is relevant it's kind of a it's, a, it's an extra it, it helps uh, me in making a decision uh, it can also uh, show already they know what the state of the art is they they know uh, to to which journal they are submitting their papers so i i do find it helpful but it doesn't replace the reading so after uh, looking at the cover letter if it's still a, a badly written paper yeah the cover letter won't save it so to say mm -hmm. Elizabeth? No, I have nothing to add. Those are great points. Thank you. Okay. So let, let's shift to um, statistical significance. Uh, all, all three of you handle papers that are uh, probably more likely to, to be quantitative than qualitative. Um, so for, for an empirical analysis, how important is statistical significance in the way that you or the reviewers you enlist uh, evaluate a paper. Uh, let's start, Elizabeth. You're, you're in your in yours. I think that 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 must be be. And you mentioned something before, but yeah. uh, talk a little bit about how you see right. statistical significance. Yes. Yeah, so 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 some people think some scholars now think that they want to pub they should not publish a paper where they did not find a positive significant positive impact of a program policy or uh, or project. And I think that's that's wrong. The technical quality of the statistical analysis should be really robust 
but a non-significant result is a result. And we want to know, in fact, in fact, sort of when we break meat, myths about a program or policy, that's quite quite interesting, right? And if they tell us the story why they did not find, why they think there was no result, either weak implementation of the projectoral policy, or because the design was and the design was flawed, there was spillover, there were spillovers or contagions from the treatment group to outside. Those are important things to discuss and to explain in in the uh, in the analysis. Um, and 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 also something that that not all authors do is to say something about the sampling. What is the sampling design? How do they choose? How do they choose that? You know, tell us a little bit more about that. Whether in the text or in a footnote would be very useful. But the reviewer and the editor want to want to know what's behind the the study, and to be able to to ex explain that in as succinct and rich way as possible is a challenge to many authors. They're either too close or they don't know enough themselves, and that. That's something we want to know. Yeah, good. Uh, Ashuk or Lawrence, any any uh, any other reflections on statistical significance in the review process? Ashuk, okay. I'm fine. Um, so one thing I'll just point out, and and this would actually be a segue to one other question I'll, I'll put to you, Lawrence. Um, in the in the kind of the back and forth between that the, the editor is essentially mediating between the reviewers and the authors. Um, I have found myself on occasion, uh, and, and actually this, this follows on the statistical significance discussion, there are, there are, I think, an increasing number of journals who write explicitly on their, on their kind of journal aims and scope. They will include something about not being, um, you know, not being opposed to publishing null results. And, and so I, I know many journals are starting to make that clear, like we, we, we welcome null results. And, and then as you said, Elizabeth, we really want to see papers that where the null result, an, an informative null result can be really useful. Uh, but for it to be informative, you have to know kind of where that null result's coming from. And you have to be able to trust the design and the statistical power of the study. And you have, so it has to be like a real, to be useful, a null result can't just be any old null result, right? Because there's a lot of different ways you can get a null result. Um, so I found myself on occasion, this is often like at the second round revision, resubmission, um, actually writing in my letter to, to authors saying, look, I'm happy to accept a paper that has null results. I, don't, I, I want you to run these additional tests, and I don't care if they have stars on them, but I think it's important to, like, to be able to tell the full story and get a full sense of what's going on. So I would almost make a pre-commitment to to being you know willing to publish null results just so that the authors didn't feel paralyzed by by insignificance. Um, so the, let me broaden that a little bit in the question I'll ask you, Lawrence, which is um, how when when you're when you're giving direction to authors and you're kind of you're 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 helping them to make sense of what's in a review report. Do do you ever do you ever instruct authors? To, to, to not worry about a specific suggestion from a reviewer? How, how do you see your role as like uh, helping, the, helping the author to, to, to place a weight 
on how important it is that they do X, Y, or Z, or how important it is that they they do the robustness test that this reviewer is. I mean, do you, do you give them specific mm -hmm. guidance on how they should think about and process the feedback they get in a review? Gee, that's a difficult question because in in terms of the JEE, that's that's often the work of the handling editors uh, who already mm -hmm. kind of pre-select and give directions on that. Uh, and at, at agricultural systems, I haven't yet come to this situation that I had to do this, but uh, I'm I'm quite convinced that I will do this if I think it will really help authors. What I do say is that if they're clearly contrasting reviews, for example, major revision and a minor revision, I will uh, say uh, pay particular attention to this uh, or uh, uh, don't go crazy on this. Uh, do do address it, but uh, it's not necessary uh, to do it to the full extent that the reviewer uh, asked also because uh, other people, uh, they, they say, no, it's okay. So yes, I, I do try to help them, but that's particularly in, in terms of contrasting uh, reviews, uh, I do help them to, to navigate those reviews and to, to, to seek a middle way. And I think that's also very helpful. I remember my first paper I ever sent as a PhD student, the editor did that and it was really helpful. He mm -hmm. basically said, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a good review, the, the more critical review, but don't take it yet, take it seriously, but don't make it too big. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Because I also think it's a, it's a good paper. But I, I do think that that requires that, that you have affinity with the paper. You can't do that for all papers. And then you also would need to rely on maybe an additional advice or asking for a third review. And I think, that is something that's sometimes problematic in the current um, times of overburdened reviewers that, that you actually need to seek that third review, but you can't find anybody. And I think that is something we still should try to do in some of these cases. Yeah, good, good. Um, let me, let, let's shift. There's a couple of questions we've received that are about the pandemic. Um, and how how the pandemic has affected things. And there's two there's two different questions here, and I'll just I'll just sort of float these out to to, to any one of you who wants to respond. Um, one of those questions is about uh, research about COVID nineteen and and impacts of the of the pandemic. So so what what do you see? You know, in term are you starting to see submissions, or what do you anticipate in your respective journals about? you know, changing the actual substance of the submissions that you get, the topics, the questions that you see. Um, and then the other is about whether the pandemic is affecting the the kind of the editorial process, peer review, delays, um, anything that, anything on kind of the operational side of journals. Um, on those two questions, any any COVID-19 reflections on on the editorial process? I haven't seen uh, <clears throat> I haven't seen submissions yet that uh, reflect on that that include the, the COVID nineteen. However, I think it would be very interesting actually, given that we're interested in impact evaluations. There are many different kinds of approaches that countries are doing to deal with it. So hopefully, in the future, they will, they will get some uh, really thoughtful and rigorous uh, papers on on the pandemic. In terms of the reviewers, only one of the reviewers whom I had been in touch with uh, told me about issues he has with the pandemic, which is his family. And therefore, 
his review was not going to come on uh, in a timely manner. But that was only one, one, uh, one reviewer. Yeah. Okay. Lawrence or Ashuk, any any pandemic reflections? Uh, so I think uh, Agricultural Economics International is publishing a special issue on COVID. That is, I think, with IFPRI, I, I guess so. IFPRI authors and Tom Reardon, I guess uh, they are doing the special issue, and I think most of the journals are doing the special issue. So we have that one coming in, and um, as far as review, uh, reviewers, they have been doing a fantastic job. I'm uh, averaging about 80 days now. So mm -hmm. first, uh, uh, some uh, reviews coming back on paper. So I think yeah. COVID has somehow helped us to yeah. increase the speed of returns. Uh, so hopefully this is for good, but uh, we'll see. So you, you mentioned- then, At the same time, then the authors are also submitting more papers. Yeah, no, that's right. It's it's it, I, I, that's what I was going to say. I think um, I think in the next six months or eight months um, there will be a bit of a logjam uh, of of new submissions, and I think some journals have already seen that. And and it's not just not just because uh, COVID nineteen has opened um, has kind of opened new territory for questions related to public health or impact of restrictions and lockdowns, but also just because um, you know, all of us have had a little bit more time to 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 work on papers that have long been on our desk but just haven't been pushed off. And so I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I think the I think in the next six months, um, you know, I'm I'm imagining most editors will be receiving a bit of a, you know, a bit of a surge of their own, a big a surge in submissions rather than a surge of of of, of coronavirus cases. But um, so you mentioned Ashuk the time time in review. Uh, one very simple question, and, and I'll just go around to each of you. Um, how long after a, a, a submission is received, is it, in your view, appropriate for an author to follow up with you as editor and say, can you give me an update on when I should find out about this paper? Is that, so in months, is that is that four months, five months, six months? Like how, how, long, how long after the paper is received is that appropriate? Elizabeth? I would say okay. We give so we give about five to six weeks for the review process. Um, certainly, very few reviewers actually make that, and a couple have surprised me by giving turning in their reports in fewer weeks than five weeks. Uh, but I think and 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 authors also can go on the on the sites journal site to check where their papers are. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily have to 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 write me, but I have had uh, authors who who have written, and I think four five months, uh, I would not be after they've submitted the paper, I, and I will not be annoyed by about a, a, a an email nudging the the paper. Mm -hmm. Lawrence. Well, we, we are nudged by the systems. We get red flags and that kind of stuff. So uh, we, we do our best uh, to, to move it through the system as quick as possible. Um, I think what Elizabeth said, it's important that authors check the system because then they can see where it is. Eh? So if it moves from like with editor to under review, eh? then wait for a bit to inquire. Eh? It typically takes four or five weeks. Eh? But but for me, it's it's very uh, find that authors ask them after six weeks, you know, after it has entered into review, what's happening. Uh, I don't mind. 
because uh, I can then say, yeah, we got one in, but the other one's still out, be patient. Uh, I think they have a right to do so, but they should also be aware that reviewers do this voluntarily. Uh, all kinds of stuff may happen, which delays it. Uh, we as editors, we're trying our best to chase them up, so to say, if we don't get it back. Um, but we should not forget this is a voluntary process. I also now sometimes see it with journals that they have moved to two week return for reviews. I now tend to decline them and say, you know, uh, if you if you want that, then you start you should start seeing it as a profession, and most of yeah. them don't want that. <laughs> so uh, I, I decline those. So I also I think that the publishers should be realistic about you know what they ask from people, a voluntary contribution, and and we, we all do this because we see that this is is a process of kind of mutual um, uh, effort. Uh, but it, it should be reasonable because we have other stuff on our plate as well, teaching, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I would I would just underscore that for the you know the the audience that um, it, it is it's very important to think about the um, the public good aspect of peer review and publication. Right, there's a really important uh, public goods problem here, and so being aware of the system, the system is you'll be asked to review papers. Um, and your contributions as a as a reviewer are what give you reviews when you submit a paper on the author side and and so that so it really does take a kind of a collective commitment to the public good to make this system work um we have just a, a last minute or two and i just wanted to throw one more question out before we wrap up i'll, I'll pass it, pass it back to ruth in just a moment um and the question is about kind of early early career scholars, uh, maybe scholars, you know, non-native English speakers, those from developing countries. Um, so authors who uh, in those categories, is there anything in the in the editorial process or the peer review process that um, that you think specifically um, that that, that that is designed to help those kinds of authors um, find their way to publishing in your journals. Is, is there, or do you have any advice for them? I mean, I, I mean, we talked a bit about English, English writing. I mean, if English is the the language of, of exposition. But any other reflections on early stage, early career scholars, maybe from developing countries, uh, reflections on the quality of submissions you receive? Well, I, I think what I mentioned before. Think about where you want to publish, what you want to publish before you start with your study. Don't see it as something you do afterwards. I, I, I often see that as, 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 as happening. It's, it's a reflection, but also uh, in terms of how are we helping authors read editorials uh, about common mistakes uh, in the publishing process. Uh, my journal, JE, has, has, has done that often. If I look at the, the aims and scope of both JE and agricultural systems, they really denote really well what do they want, what do they don't want. So read those before uh, you, you, you submit or before you make a journal choice. They, they are there to orient you. And I think that often, yeah, that doesn't happen or doesn't yeah. happen sufficiently. Yeah. Elizabeth? Yeah, so, so our journal, the Journal of Development Effectiveness, has a, has a page to help authors uh, with with preparing a paper. But and and of course the other things that we've said we've talked about today are also very important for us as, as guidelines for 
for authors. But let me just uh, add a couple of things. So one is that the choice of journal is very important. So I think we we've not we we talked about the sort of the random randomness of of being able to publish, but actually the the key one part of that is actually choosing the right journal so so choosing the right fit for your paper is a very important part of publishing and then trying to trying to understand how what that journal wants right um and and one of the things that i do as a as an editor is i actually if i get papers that seem like they're promising but they're not the right fit for my journal i even suggest especially if I think they're young scholars. I make suggestions of some journals that they might want to try. Um, so, so just as a way to, to help them. Um, but I think that uh, really uh, being thoughtful about transforming, let's say, a dissertation chapter into, into a journal paper, the, the things that Ashok was mentioning and Lawrence was mentioning, I think those are very important things for young scholars to, uh, to, to think about Quali technical quality more than sort of gaming who's on the editorial board, et cetera, uh, is going to pay off more. Yeah, excellent. Ashuk, any last, any last words? I totally agree with all those points made there. And uh, the paramount thing is just write the best paper to the right journal and follow through. And if you send me an email about uh, your paper status, I always respond. I can look at it. But just give the editors 100 days. For me, it's 100 days. If you have seen more than 100 days, call me. Yeah, good. So all those that add up. Thank you, Ashuk. So with that, uh, thank you so much, Elizabeth Lawrence Ashuk, for your time this morning, this evening, wherever you are. Um, thank you for your insights and, and your reflections.